Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Oh yes, rolling along Brock and Saul, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com and the Seattle Sports app. Two issues for the Mariners, Brock. Just two. Just just two? Just two. Okay. Yeah, just two. Two big picture issues. Good Monday, by the way. Good Monday. One, they're now seven out in the West. Yeah. That's it's a, a lot. Problem. That's a lot. It's not ten, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not impossible. You can get past seven, and certainly you got four games against the A's here. That really helps. But seven, starting to get to the limit of where you want to be in terms of keeping everybody close. If you're, you know, a ho- in a horse race and you're kind of monitoring the horse ahead of you, that's getting to be about the limit of what you've got left in the tank for the stretch run. I don't think you want to see it get too much more than seven, especially two months in, you know, over the course of the next month, you want to keep that within four and not let it get to 10. What's the old adage? Like if you're double digits by Memorial day, we got a problem. Yeah. Houston, we got a problem, and and typically it's been Houston has been that problem, and that's not the problem. It's well, these Rangers, starting to be Houston just went what six and one in their homestand or something like yep. that. So it's yep. starting to be a problem. Yes, it is, but now it's not just Houston, right? It was always just Houston in your division, and now it's actually the Angels are ahead of you, and and those Astros are ahead of you, and these Rangers just continue to mash, and their run differential is pretty darn real. I mean, it's not a fluky one run games. Um, they have mashed really bad opponents, and then. Well, they beat you in, in a series in your park. Yeah. So, yeah, that's problematic. The other one? Well, the other one for me, and, and this one's a much bigger Gosh, picture by the way, thing. you look good. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate what that. What are you down to? I Holy actually know what? I'm, I'm up half a pound from when are we you? talked on Thursday. Okay, wow, you look great. I know. I'm really Gosh. I'm growing rapidly here. Uh, no, I just I'm sort of stalled out for a little bit. And I, this is the last week. I think I got just two more pounds to go. So Attaboy. if we can, uh, if we can so finish it up this week, we'll be great. So stinking proud of you. Uh, the other issue, Brock, much bigger. And I got to tell you, I didn't think I would say this, but they're not giving themselves a chance to show how likable they can be. Mm. I mean, we were down there in spring training. We watched this team last year. There's a lot of likable personalities on this team. And when you don't hit and it doesn't lead to wins, it's really hard to show off any of those skills that I think really could be at the heart of of a great Mariner team this year. And instead, you're not. You're not hitting. You're not creating moments. Do you know what I mean? You're not creating those memorable moments. And the last few years have been filled with them. Interesting moments, clutch at bats, dramatic comebacks, fist pumps on the mound, blowing away a batter at the right time, and a guy running off the mound with a big moment and a fist pump, and you're like, all right, good, let's go. One run win, one run win, walk off win, rip the jersey off the player. It's Dylan Moore running around. It's Eugenio running around. It's Julio running around. It's any of the guys over the years. And this year's had none of it. If I ask you, what's been the best win of the year? What is it? It is the Houston Astros Saturday night. Where you had the one, yeah, the one good yep. inning. Yep, one good inning. J, JP, yeah, you were there, right? You and Avery were there, and, yep. and the place became a, the, the electric factory After once that, again. What are the best wins of the year? What have been the best moments of the year? How many I times? I mean, it has been it has been the offense. It's been the pitching that has been just nails. It's, in the, it's Luis Castillo. But have those it has been, been great Kirby. moments. They've been great outings. Mm-hmm. Have there been great moments? Is there a moment you've jumped off your couch 
I mean, Kelnick and Kelnick and Wrigley. Yeah, Kelnick and Wrigley was pretty amazing. Like, because that was holy cow. This is this is so awesome. This is everything we dreamed of. This is gosh, if we could have written a script, and I think somebody did of who needs to start the year the fastest and who would it benefit the most. It was going to be J.K. and for him to come out and then to do it in Wrigley and just hit bomb after bomb after bomb. So individually, uh, it it's been Jared Kilner. J.P. the bases clearing double when he came off the uh, the field fired up. You were sitting right. Yeah, there that was Game it. Five. We talked about that. That, that, was, that, that, that was, was not Game Five. The, the Astros, game against yeah. the Astros. Yes, yeah, that was the Astros. The yep. You're right. Yep. Oof. And then yeah. you know, unfortunately, just none of these things have sparked more. Right. It just it, it, it feels like and, I, and this is like the dumbest, most trite uh, analogy I could give. But it feels like you're on a roller coaster. And every time you get right up to that tipping point where it looks like you're going to go over and go downhill, you topple back the other way. It's like mm-hmm. that 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 one moment, that fulcrum, that that exact point where it's like, OK, lousy game on Friday night. OK. Deal with it, right? Okay, you, had a, you just had a lousy loss on Friday night. You win on Saturday, and your bats show up a little bit. And you get a nice night from Logan Gilbert, and everybody does their job. Chance to make this a winning series and a winning road trip. and a Nope. You decide to spit the bit again yesterday and just look like you were laid down and dead yeah. against a guy with a 7.5 ERA. Yeah. Just every time you find yourself on the verge, hey, you won the first game in Boston, and you're feeling great about it. Cool. Win the oh, you lost the next two. Hey, you 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 won the first two games in Detroit. Let's go get a sweep. Nope. You lay an egg in the third one. Every time it feels like this team is about to mm-hmm. hit the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody jams on the brake, or or even worse, slashes your tires. And yep. I, I don't know what it's going to take for this team to get going. Well, I, I think one of those factors, and we sure, you know, talk about this. And in last year, you saw it with Julio and Ty France as your all-stars. Like, you, you have to have in those moments, you have to have difference makers. You have to have star power. You have to have, right? I mean, that's typically the, the – not always. You can, you can do it through great pitching and defense and win these one – but, man, your, your stars – Right, the old Mike Heward line. Gosh, we had a great time with Grandpa Mike. Maybe, okay. maybe it's good to. Oh, it was so good. Love it. Not even like a flip. Not even one little slip up. Not even one little like. He didn't oh, embarrass the family Dad. at all. Dad, you can't say that. Oh, no, geez. not once. Wow. Yeah, Grandma Peg had him. Like he, in in I don't know. Maybe he's just getting getting a little older too. But he, he would always say, "Listen, man, you get to this big stage, bright stage, big moments." Your best players got to be their very best in those moments. And we're not to August. We're not to September. We're not to that stage yet. But to sweep the Tigers, to win in Boston yesterday, to find a way to win a close game. Come on, Julio. Come on, man. Come on, come on Ty. Come on, man. You know, the, these valleys that those two in particular at the top of your lineup are in. Right when you think Ty France is, okay, here we go. He's going to be on this tear and he's getting hot and he's feeling good. Now we're one for 24 again. Come on, Julio, you move down in the lineup, you know, you, you get some hits, you get a home run, you kind of spark yourself, and then you move back up, and golly, we're three for our last 68, like, or, you know, without a, an extra base hit. What are we doing? Let's go. The all-star game is in our building, man. Who's going to be your all-star? Who's your all-star? Kirby? Well, Kirby, that's it. sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's about it right now. And that kind of speaks to this moments thing, right? Like, you, you've got to... Come on, man. You got to make moments. You got to make your name known. You, you got to get in those bright lights. You got to get in the highlights. You got to yeah. get on the national narrative. 
And outside of George Kirby right now, you don't have an all-star to play in your own building, that glorious building in that you know, glorious place in the middle of July. Yeah, so, so. I, you know, I'm, I'm reading through. Hey, Mr. Mariner, the big apologist, sure sounds pessimistic this morning. Have a cate of coffee <laughs> and a Snickers salt. I, I don't think I'm Mr. Mariner or an apologist. When it was early, I said it was early. It's stopping to be. It's not early anymore. It's May 22nd, so that's no longer a thing. I don't judge teams on how they do in the first few weeks of April. Sorry. Yeah. And for everybody who's sitting here saying they didn't do enough this offseason, Maybe you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I also don't believe that's why they are where they are. Guys, this is not a question of of whether or not this lineup was constructed well. Sorry. This is Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, and Teoscar Hernandez, and Cal Raleigh. The heart of your order. The guys that were here before, other than Teos, the only new guy in that group. But certainly a guy with enough track record. Certainly nobody was upset about the trade for Teoscar Hernandez. They've all been subpar. And we'll dig into Julio here a little bit at 730, but but Brock, or at 8 o'clock, excuse me. This is not about who's your second baseman. It's not about whether or not there was another bat to have gotten. This is about the fact that the guys who are on your team that you built around mm-hmm. have completely underperformed and not delivered. And I would large, yeah, I would largely agree with you. The other twenty percent of it that you did go out, you know, in Teo and AJ oh, yeah, Pollock and Colton Wong. I mean, that, that that other percentage that you know you hope to kind of give a bump to those guys, to give a bump to those returners, to not expect too much but, in but, you know sophomore years from some of them. Not good enough, man. Julio Rodriguez at two or four. Yeah, I mean, like in no version of the Mariners world was that a possibility again like without that that's not a that's 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 not a tenable position for this Mariner team so you know when it was early i was going to tell you it was early and the idea of ripping the team for not winning right off the bat hey good teams don't win all the time right now though you're may 22nd you got a huge 10 game homestand ahead of you 10 games in 10 days and it's not too late you can absolutely pull yourself out of this funk. And if you start to hit and you whack the A's around, sweep a four-game series, get yourself right back in the middle of it, show the Pirates that they are not really all they've been cracked up to be, and then battle against the Yankees, go 7-3, and 8-2 and two on this homestand, you are absolutely right in the thick of things with plenty of opportunity in front of you and a talented enough lineup with great pitching to go do everything you need to do this year. This roster is good enough, but not if... Julio Rodriguez, Teoscar Hernandez, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, and Ty France aren't going to hit. If those five guys don't hit, you're not the Mariners. I don't care what else happens. So until those guys get going, you're going to be mired in this lack of fun differential team that doesn't look like it's capable of showing off all the fun that we know they have under the hood. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. It's just kind of more of the same for the Mariners this weekend, unfortunately. Lose one, win one, lose another. And it just seems like they can't get themselves into a groove and out of first gear. And I understand, obviously, that's difficult against a very good Atlanta team. But you're supposed to be in that same category. And right now, just not playing that way. The issue, issues... 
the same, right? Hitting. When they hit, they win. They hit on Saturday. They forgot how against another lefty with a sky-high ERA yesterday. This time a guy named Jared Schuster baffled everyone except Jared Kelnick, who did go deep yet again. Kirby, good, but not quite great enough. He did give up three runs in seven innings, and that was all the Braves needed because all you scored was two. Yeah, as you said, more of the same and probably more of what I continue to say over need to know. If this was 2020, 2021, even last year, okay, you know, this is, we're, we're still within earshot. Yeah, you're still a good club. You beat the bad teams. You're just not beating the good teams. You're one in six now in series versus teams with winning records. And that one win was, you were there. It was really an eighth inning turnaround, five plus runs in that eighth inning against Houston. Otherwise, you'd be an 0 for 7 in those situations. So, and it's not even the, the those stats. It's your eyes. When you've watched them against good, good competition, they've not gotten over the hump. They've not won those series. And that's going to have to change, especially if they want to be the World Series contenders mm-hmm. that, that the ownership and I think the leadership of this team believe they were going into the year. There was some good news. Louis, or, uh, Jose Caballero just continues to show that he is you know, the starting second baseman. He was given all three starts over the weekend. And after a couple of nights where he didn't do a ton, yesterday was great. One for one, hit his first major league home run, stole three bags. The one. There goes Caballero. The pitch is a strike. Throw to second. Tag applied. Caballero is safe. He is safe at second base. He just stole his third bag today. It's pretty good. Stole second, then stole third, then stole second again just for good measure. But it wasn't enough, unfortunately. Okay, home for now for 10-game homestand. Oakland, then Pittsburgh, then New York. Luis Castillo will lead that off tonight. Here's the second thing you need to know. Meanwhile, day one of uh, full team OTAs, organized team activities today for the Seahawks. The rookies first opportunity to see what life's like with veterans on the field as well. And I'm going to guess there's a couple of vets, Brock. I got five in mind who are going to want to make quite the impression after hearing about which rookie is going to take their job. How does Mike Jackson respond to cornerback? Because all he's heard is that he's out. Does D. Eskridge have anything? Is there a competitive juice in there, a competitive fire to show that maybe he still deserves that job over Jackson Smith and Jigba? Mm-hmm. Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, two guys who are going to see, you know, Derek Hall show up and play the same position and then throw uh, the guy you've mentioned a few times, DJ Dallas, who saw them draft two more uh, running backs this offseason. Yeah, I think those are five guys that should absolutely feel pretty challenged right now. Yeah, and now for the next few weeks, it, it starts to get real, right? Phase one, you just got you got to lift in conditions, very limited with what you can do with the football. It's got to be all player-driven. Phase two in the CBA is, is they can be more organized. I believe coaches can be out there. The ball can be out there, but you're not doing 11-on-11. 11 11. There's no competition. There's no offense versus defense. Well, then you have the rookie minicamp, and now it gets real. Now you have 10 of these OTAs, you have a mandatory minicamp, and now it's football. And now it is, yeah, we're, we're going 11-on-11. 11 11. We're, we're doing 9-on-7. We're doing 7-on-7. Seven seven. You know, there's no pads. There's no hitting. There's none of that. But the helmets are on. These guys are playing fast. And I can guarantee you some of these rookies are going to call home and call their agent and be like, whoa. What just happened? That was different. I, I thought I thought I could play in this league in this rookie minicamp. I thought I was I thought I was ready to get my next contract. Ooh, this this is a grown man league, and I got some work to do and some humble pie to to, to serve through. Here's the third thing you need to know. You eat? I don't want to eat. I mean, you're gonna eat. You're it gonna first. serve it. Eh, I feel like you're gonna first. eat it. Well, you're going to eat some humble pie. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Anyway, uh, it nearly happened at Augusta, Brock. Now it's a reality. A live tour player has won a major championship. This time it was Brooks Kepka. He's all the way back. Kepka conquers the PGA at Oakland. 
kill. Yeah, and conquers the PGA Tour, it seems like, at the same time. Embarrassing? Yeah, he was two shots better than Scotty Scheffler, two shots better than Victor Hovland. He wins his fifth major, third PGA Championship. Don't worry, he doesn't have any idea who the other players are that have won five, but he says it's exciting to be mentioned in the same breath as them. Uh, more uh, more emotionally was uh, Michael Block, right? Wow. He is the PGA Tour that? pro from uh from uh, not torpor just a pga teaching pro rather from nishin viejo california he finishes in a tie for 15 has a hole in one and a sweet up and down on 18 to get there afterwards he was feeling the moments uh, it's it's amazing uh i'm living a dream i'm making sure that i enjoy this moment i've learned that after the my 46 years of life that uh it's not gonna get better than this there's no way <laughs> No chance in hell. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this, and thank you. It's all downhill from here. Oh, goodness. And when Bryson DeChambeau, by the way, finished in the top five. So live golfers were kind of all over that scoreboard. Once again. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty remarkable stuff for Mr. Block. And then he gets the call. He gets the exemption this yeah. week into the, into the tournament in Fort Worth. John Deere, and, right? Oh, my gosh. He was just really, really neat. And by the way, speaking of hitting and how fortunes can turn, did you see what happened to the UW women's softball team? I did see that, yeah. Yeah, old McNeese. I think they used to be McNeese State in my day. I guess they're just they're McNeese now. They're not McNeese now. State anymore? Ah, it's just McNeese. They dropped and the state. It was 1-0. They, they beat the Huskies 1-0. The Huskies then had to turn around and beat them. McNeese put zeros in the first matchup. Zero, so had, what, 13 innings of shutout ball until the seventh inning. Down six! And them Huskies battle back for a 7-6 win to advance to the Super Pretty cool. Congrats to them. Uh, now, do you think there's – maybe there's two different schools. Maybe it's like UW and Wazoo. Like, no. There's a McNeese no. and a McNeese State? I don't, I don't think so. No, probably not. All right, that's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour. No, big fight. We got in one time in the broadcast booth, and my producer's like, don't you back down. You keep calling them Louisiana Lafayette. They're Louisiana Lafayette. That's how they are. That's how their their image, that's how they are in our graphics because they wanted to just be called Louisiana. Louisiana and their SIDs like in our booth in game like hey uh, can you guys call us what by our name Louisiana and our producer screaming they're Louisiana Lafayette how do you decide I mean aren't they whatever they want to be uh I, I I have no idea how that works but yeah the whole graphics team the whole build up what they're what they are on their website the conference website they're Louisiana Lafayette they're Louisiana Lafayette just because they want to be called that they're known to the country as, at that point, Louisiana Lafayette. That's kind of weak, though. Like, if, nah. if they've changed their name, that's what they've changed their name to. Well, it's kind of like the SID saying, hey, man, we're not Clemson with a Z. We're Clemson. Clemson. Like, I, well, I, I can't say Clemson. That's not <laughs> – I, I can barely say Clemson, you know? I'm trying to just – I'm trying to get the S and not the Z. Okay. So, yeah, some of them get very – You have some very, cha- very big challenges. Well, that's why you lean on people like Jason Benetti. Right? Right. That's why you lean on your partners. Clearly. Well, yeah. Jason Benetti is going to join us. He is your partner, and he did call the Mariners game over the weekend. We'll chat Julio and uh, all things Mariners and baseball with Jason coming up next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Another day, another Brock Heward partner today, Jason Benetti. Kind enough to take a few uh, minutes with it. What do you mean, uh, what? You did that joke last time. I'm not you're making better. a joke. Uh, just, you're better get, than that. There's a lot of your partners that show we had with Shoes on last week. Right. Now we got Jason Benetti. I'm not making okay. a joke. That, well, I'm just that's saying, easier. Like, I think you could do better than that. <laughs> 
Okay. You want me to build him up in a different? Why don't you introduce him then, yes. tough guy? Let's well, let's hear what you got. For why don't Benetti. we? Why don't we have Benetti and AJ do every Mariner game because they came to life when they were on the broadcast Saturday night. I mean, that was a Mariner team, Jason. We've all been waiting to see what. What was it about you and AJ that brought that to to life for the national folks Saturday? I'd call it magic. Uh, I would say it's just flat out magic by us. Uh, no, I here's here's my thing about the Mariners. If they hit just a couple more home runs, I think everything would be okay. I, and I know that's oversimplification, but the strikeout rate is so high. But with with great strikeouts comes great home run responsibility, kind of. You know, and I know they didn't really do that in our game, but it, it's very difficult to string hits together at the rate that they did that night, and they did it against a bullpen day for Atlanta. So that's what changed that night. It's just... Uh, I cannot imagine, you know, you fly in and you do one game and you watch them during the week to, to catch up and figure out, you know, where they are compared to when you last saw them. I, I really do feel like if, if this home run potential gets to where it is on the back of the baseball card, as people say, right, I sound like a GM now, but if that happens, I think this team's going to be fine. Yeah, I agree with you as long as that starts happening soon. I mean, they're now seven games out, and if that gets to 10, all of a sudden you got yourself a different conversation. So how how do you make it? It's the dumbest question. How do you make it happen for guys that have done it plenty of times in the past and just aren't doing it right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I had the Cardinals a couple of weeks ago against the Dodgers, and they were in the tank. And they did that thing with Wilson Contreras and somehow that made Nolan Arenado hit better, right? Like that, that has happened. And I cover the White Sox on a day-to-day basis and they were seven and 20. Now they've won three in a row against Kansas city, but they've won three in a row. And that feels like, you know, a total weight off. So I think part of it now, I think we are not as discussers of baseball enough talking about the balanced schedule. Even if you do it every day on your show, I don't think it's enough. Because when you're not playing 19 games against the same team, you're seeing different pitchers much more often. And I do think there's an adjustment to that. I do think people are really ramping up their scouting. I was talking to uh, Elvis Andrews about a month ago in the White Sox clubhouse. And he said, man, Gordon Beckham was down there as well. And we were all talking and they were talking uh, about how when they first came up into the majors, it was like you could go a month and do the same stuff. And if people didn't know you, they didn't know you. Now it's like a day later, that thing that was a strength, they're going to find another hole and they're never going to do what they used to do to you again. So I think that more negatively impacts younger players and I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening with Julio Rodriguez, but I, I do think that Mariners Braves series is interesting because when Julio Rodriguez is going, he should be what Acuna is to the top of the mm-hmm. lineup for Atlanta. And I know Scott Service wants to do that. So when Julio starts hitting and he's the fearsome number one guy, 
I think that's that's the big step, obviously. Yeah, I heard you and Jason Benetti here with us, the great Jason Benetti, the guy that works 300 days a year that has over 2 million miles right now because he can't go on vacation because all he does is work, including the USFL over the weekend after the Mariners game. Uh, the great Benetti with us, you and AJ were talking about Julio, and you peppered AJ continually with questions of what is going on, what is going on, because to compare and contrast, him and Acuna this weekend was varsity and JV. And AJ continued to say he's in between. He's in between. He's in yeah. between. What more did you learn than in between? Yeah, that when he was saying that in that sequence, I think it showed, right? Because he he was not on the last breaking ball, and he didn't know what it was going to be. And the one thing that I thought was interesting, and Jerry might have said it on your show, or Scott may have said it in a post-game interview, but Scott was adamant that we're getting, like, one really good at bat a night. It's got to be like four really good at bats a night. And I, I did wonder that if taking three walks in a game was actually a really good sign. I mean, we'll see this week if that's true, but I thought three walks in a game actually was a pretty good sign on a day when you're seeing a bunch of different arms. The, the counter position to that is, it's a, it's on a bullpen day and you should probably be doing more damage on a day like that. So it might be another sign that he's just in between, but my feeling is it's a, it's a consistency issue in terms of quality of at bat. And it doesn't look like the chase rate is astronomically higher, but it does feel like he just doesn't feel good. And I, you know, I, I brought up the Cardinals before, but I was talking to Ali Marmol about Arenado and he was like, look, Nolan's one of those guys that just you cannot convince is feeling good if he's not feeling good. I don't know where Julio is on that spectrum, but if he can convince himself that he's feeling good, <laughs> that's all it takes is two or three days in this thing, especially with how bunched up the American League is. Yeah, the Julio story so far is is the biggest thing of, of, I mean, look, there's a lot of positive with the Mariners pitching, and we can talk through just how good they've been, and the Kelnick breakout has been great, but as Julio goes, so goes this team. They've built this team around his ability to do it all, and right now he's like, you know, the 14th rated you know center fielder in the game. That's that's not going to work, right? I mean, like, you just, you can't survive if your star plays like that. Why do stars get out of alignment at times in your experience? Guys you've played or been around who have been, you know, at Julio's level, the big stars, how do they get out of alignment and how do they get back into it? Well, I have to go to my telescope here at the hotel in <laughs> Cleveland to check why the stars. Well, Capricorn looks like it's no. I, it's, in, it's in retrograde. Don't worry about it. It's We're all in retrograde after this segment. Uh, I think I think part of it is simply – it's getting harder to hit every year. You're seeing more breaking balls every year. Pitch design gets more dastardly. Like I think that's part of this. I also think that even if you are the biggest star in the game, there are going to be things that make you feel poor. Acuna, for example, has the injury and talking to those, the injury two years ago uh, and, and talking to those people there, it was like, it, it sapped his power last year when he was coming back from the injury. So I think a lot of different variables are there. And AJ brought up, I don't think he was saying cause and effect, but like all of the things around Julio are different this year, including the way he's getting pitched, 
in some regards, and he's getting pitched as a star. I just think that might be the the simplest way to put it, right? He's getting pitched as a star, although the breaking ball fastball numbers are close to the same. If you look at percentages, I do think he's seeing different pitches in different counts if you went deeper there. Hey, hey Jason, what does that mean for, for somebody who's tuning in right now and hears that? What does it mean to be pitched as a star? Uh, I think it's simply that you're not going to see as many competitive pitches. Uh, I shouldn't say competitive. You're not going to see as many pitches in the fat part of the plate with intent, right? If you are the seven, eight, and nine hitter and somebody like, um, say, uh, Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge uh, is coming up next, right? They cannot afford to walk you, the seven, eight, and nine hitter. They can't because the other guys are just smoking the baseball. So it's, you know, on StatCast, you can look up on Baseball Savant uh, for lay people. Like, you can just look up the percentage of pitches that somebody's getting in the fat part of the zone. And then there's also the intent of the pitcher. So sometimes pitchers will accidentally hit the fat part of the zone, but I would bet you that he's seeing fewer pitches with intent to just go ahead and go after him because it's not the, he's not the guy that you can let beat you anymore. I mean, I've had 20 managers over the years say the way they look at a lineup is they circle a couple guys in red and they say, he's not going to beat me. He's just not. So great. So, okay. So let's take that information, understand it, agree with it a hundred percent. If you're Julio Rodriguez or if you're managing or coaching Julio Rodriguez and you want to talk to him about how to get out of this, how do you how do you make the necessary adjustments to adjust to that new style of being pitched? Well, that's why that's that is very much why I believe three walks in a game is a good sign. Because if you're not going to let them get you out out of the strike zone, I mean, the the biggest bane to the existence of a hitter nowadays in Major League Baseball is weak contact on a ball out of the zone. Strikeouts are fine because, you know, if you pair them with home runs, they're not fine. But if you pair them with home runs and you're going to have some strikeouts go with home runs, great. If you're making weak contact out of the zone, that is not very repeatable to turn into base hits. So... I think the idea is if they're going to pitch you out of the zone and they're going to try and induce weak contact, you just have to let them walk you. And if that happens, then suddenly you get a reputation for having an amazing eye, sort of a keyhole type guy. And then people start to have that, ooh, you know, I can't do that against him. And it's also if the guys behind him start hitting a little bit more, he might see fatter pitches too. That's just my belief, uh, you know. But I also think some of it is it's just going to run its course. And I know that doesn't make for a very compelling hot take theater from me, sports talk radio guest guy. But I also think sometimes that's the way it works is like, he's got to figure it out. The problem with baseball is it's really hard to do that in season. Like Jared <laughs> Kelnick in Rosenthal's story, like in the athletic, Jared Kelnick did this in the off season. That's great. Uh, it's harder to do on a day-to-day basis. Well, I don't think I've seen Salk like shake his head, like absorb information in a way that Benetti, you've just been crushing. He's hogging you too. Like he just hogged you for seven, eight minutes. 
Like you're my buddy. I've hardly got to talk to you. I got one. I got two final questions. We know Jerry Depoto is a trader. We know that he's a fixer. He told us very clearly it's 50 games to assess. It's 50 games to fix. That uh, that team that you cover on a daily basis is struggling mightily. It does have some difference makers. Is there a White Sox bat that could help this Mariners lineup? Is there a White Sox bat that could help the Mariners lineup? I think the White Sox would be less likely to trade a bat at the deadline than they would be a pitcher. I, I do believe the White Sox will be in close range enough that they probably won't sell. If the White Sox, and I'm just going to couch this, but if the White Sox lost the next 30 games, which they're not going to do, but if they end up being distinct sellers at the deadline, I, I mean, the one bat that would be really interesting that's on a long-term contract would be, uh, you know, if you look at the White Sox lineup, and I'm not going to play, you know, trade shark here, but I am going to say there are a couple names that have popped up in stories, and the top one would be Tim Anderson at shortstop. Mm-hmm. I don't think the White Sox want to trade him. He's kind of been the face of the franchise recently, but I do think that that would be a possible name just based on published reports. And then the other guy on a long-term deal is Luis Robert Jr., who's got 12 home runs this year, and he's been crushing or 13 now he's been crushing the baseball but he's a center fielder so I don't think that's really I just don't know where the White Sox if they were to trade people and I think I've said that enough that nobody from Chicago is going to say he said trade Tim Anderson because that's not what I mean but (laughs) if you were to trade somebody I just don't know where the pieces fit between Mm -hmm. the White Sox and Mariners like J.P. Crawford's had a really nice year so far Yep. You're a good soul. You're a good seed. Was it nice to do some football? Did you feel like you cheated on me doing football this weekend without me? I did. I yeah. did. It was weird. I, oh. I, do, I, I don't know how much people in Seattle have watched the USFL, but I will say having the live mic on players is distinctly hilarious. We came back from a break. And one of the quarterbacks, and he said a couple words that I cannot say because your producers would be in peril. But he said, I hope these advertisers are enjoying these commercials, but I'm not. <laughs> and he was in the huddle waiting to go to the line. But he dropped a couple of uh, words that started with A, B, C, D, E, the sixth letter of the yeah, alphabet. Right. Yep. And I was like, oh, man. And so all I could say was, and now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we didn't get any Sean McDonough out of you this time, which is a little disappointing. Other than that, fantastic uh, 15 minutes of radio. Thank you, Jason. We really appreciate it. We'll talk again. Sock, I do have a new impression. Would you like to hear it? Oh, who's that? It's Droopy Dog. <laughs> okay. It fits, it fits very well with the early start of the White Sox season. I just went into the radio group once and I said, I'm sad. It's raining. <laughs> Tremendous. We love you, Benetti. Thank Goodbye. you, Jason. There you go. There's Jason Benetti. <laughs> of, uh... you. <laughs> or is it Sean McDonough? It's hard yes. to tell. There you go. On Fox, from Fox Sports, Jason Benetti. Kind of take a few minutes with us here on Brock and Salk. I guess we'll go from that. Yeah, you think you know, huh? You had three or four things there. That oh, I, yeah, no, I there's some really interesting stuff on Julio. We'll come back yep. to it at 8 o'clock right after Blue 88. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! 
We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. sort of a series on Blue 88 over the course of the next few days with uh, OTAs starting, full teams, etc. So I'm going to go through each draft pick, Brock, as its own question and ask you what the biggest adjustment is they will need to make as they try to, you know, go and further their career now into OTAs and then into uh, training camp, regular season, etc. So we'll start with the guy who was picked number five overall. What is the biggest adjustment Devin Witherspoon will need to make? Yeah, I think for the top three guys today, Salk, I'm going to give you three adjustments. I'm going to give you three wow. just that they're going to come out on that practice field today. And there's going to be three areas for Devin, for Jackson and for Derek Hall uh, that will bounce through here in Blue 88. Uh, for Devin, I'm I'm most curious just about the fundamentals, the fundamental things that Pete Carroll believes in that he is, it, you know, when he said during draft day, gosh, you know, he reminds me of uh, Troy Polamalu. And Troy Polamalu had to, you know, take his incredible athleticism and incredible talent and feel and then play within the scheme of what Pete wants. And Devin Witherspoon's going to have to do the same. He, he's got great instinct. But we know fundamentally there are just some have-tos in Pete Carroll's system. So just the footwork, the hand placement, all of those things, that's number one. Number two, this will be the first time in Devin Witherspoon's life where he's going to cover someone, but he's not going to be covered. He's going to be all over that route. And when he was all over in high school and in college, guess what? The ball did not come his way, and it went the other way. And he's going to be all over these guys, and the ball is still going to come to DK Metcalf. And what is that going to be like? Hold on a second. Why are they throwing? I've got that covered. I'm on him. I'm on his hip. Nope. And that ball is zipped right behind my ear. And that's a back shoulder. And and I'm on him. And somehow DK still shields me with this enormous frame to just create enough inches of space to get that ball in. That will be a big adjustment. And then lastly is just the, we know, hey, here's our cover three. Here's our man. But it's the secret sauce. It's the devil in the details. It's the little nuance. It's studying tendencies. It's all of the things that Pete demands of that position, that secondary Maybe more than any other position group on this team. Those will be three things to watch with Devin. All right, question number two. From Devin Witherspoon to Jackson Smith and Jigba, what does he need to show? Yeah, a few things. To? Yep, a few things here. And you hear this about quarterbacks as they go into OTA season for rookies, like, wow, that window is so much smaller. Hey Jackson, the windows in this league are so much smaller than what you had at Ohio State and what you had in high school football in Texas. It just is. The hash marks are different. You know, Brian Day did an incredible job in his system, a lot like Chip Kelly, those two friends with one another of creating space all the time. And in the college game with the wide hash marks, you create a lot of space. Those windows for Jackson are going to feel tighter than they've ever felt. In college, the nickelback is the third worst corner. That's the way the college, you don't have like three elite corners in college. You know, if you have two, you're really lucky. You typically don't have three. So he's picking in college on oftentimes the weakest corner. That's not the way it is in the league. Mm-hmm. In, and some of these nickel corners, while they're the third corner on paper, they are some of the most talented coverage guys in the league. He's going to feel some of that. And, man, there's going to be some amazing battles with Julian Love coming down and covering, Jarek Reed coming down and covering, and certainly Kobe Bryant coming down and covering him as well. And then just the last one, and this is where he is more advanced than most, 
is because he played with a, a QB that was tremendous in anticipation, so much so that he was the number two pick in the draft. But when Jackson comes out of those routes, he's got to know that ball is coming now. When D. Eskridge came out of routes a few years ago, like he had no idea. Like, whoa, why is this ball on me? Because this is the league. This is how fast those things happen. So he will have a leg up when it comes to anticipation, having played with a guy that I think is a lot like Geno Smith. But, yeah, just that anticipatory level is still another level up from what he's ever experienced. All right, question number three, and uh, we'll go to the third pick the Seahawks made. It's Derek Hall. The outside linebacker, Brock, what kind of adjustments will he need to make today? Yeah, when Cole Kublik said to us multiple times, he's not super twitchy. It, it just, it was confounding to me because you look at Derek Hall's spark numbers, right? It's just athleticism numbers and you see 265 running 4-5 and you're like, hold on a second. What what do you mean he's not twitchy? Seems, <laughs> like you have, seems twitchy. Yeah, I mean, you have to be twitchy to run 4-5 at 260, but I know what Cole's saying. Twitchy and just that instinct in that moment, right? Like... It was one of the big struggles that Aaron Curry had. Like he, he was not a twitchy thinker. He was not a twitchy mover on the edge. And and so just that, that twitch, because things happen so fast, number one. Number two, you know, he's been able to use so much of his power and strength, even in the SEC, to his enormous advantage. You get in this league, man, and Charles Cross and Abe Lucas and these three tight ends in particular, like it is all about leverage. I remember my very first minicamp in the old line coach, salty old soul, Tom Lavat, great guy, was like, you know, we would sit in with the O-line meetings for protection and run game install and everything else. And he would just hammer these rookies like, hey, you're not moving these guys. This isn't college. You don't blow these guys off the ball. It is every inch. It is your hand placement. And it's the same thing for him, right? It, it, every inch on that chest plate matters when it comes to leverage. And then just lastly is just the, the speed of the game on the edge. It is so fast in this league. And all of the edge run and all of that zone run and all of the things that the Seahawks do in their run game and then play pass, his head is going to be spinning. Uh, of, of those three, he may eat the most tumble pie early, but I think may benefit the most in the long run because he's a sharp dude. He's a commanding dude. But his head will be spinning as the vets get on the field this week. Good stuff. All right, there you go. That is today's Blue 88. We'll do uh, something similar tomorrow with the next three guys uh, who were drafted by the Seahawks. We'll kind of go through that over the course of this week as they start OTAs. And, uh, yeah, full squad in effect. Uh, I don't know whether Devin Witherspoon or Jackson Smith and Jigbo will have a chance to do what you've said there, Brock, because I don't know how much they're going to participate. We know that, you know, they both had some hamstring issues, didn't, uh, were not full go during rookie minicamp a week or two ago. So we'll see. I hope they can. It's valuable. If you're going to count on them to be starters and push, like this is the, you only get 10 of these. Yep. And Pete Carroll last year and over the years has been pretty clear, like, yeah, you've got to be available, and that availability yeah, for young they, players. Yeah, but they drafted both of these guys, especially in Smith and Jigba's case, knowing that he had a significant they did, hamstring. And they're, and they're going to be guys for them. But if they're going to beat out right. and take jobs from others, you've got to go out there and take it from them. All right, you're right. I, I was very fascinated with a few of the things Jason Benetti said. I mean, he lays out a scenario which makes it seem very simple for Julio Rodriguez to get himself back on track. Is it as simple as he said? Probably not, but we'll discuss together next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com.